Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Welcome to the 66th and final episode of Odd, the Odd Drummer Gaming podcast. Um, in this episode, I am going to be talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, let me check my note. I will get to that at the end of the episode. See what happens with this podcast is I write I write down notes that I want to talk about but sometimes so much time passes that I don't really want to talk about it like for example I have notes about the taste buds podcast on here and I kind of stopped listening to the taste buds podcast like maybe weeks ago I'm just taking a break, um, so I don't really want to talk about it now, because it's not really in my heart currently, and my obsessions and my uh, things that I like and love, they fluctuate sometimes on the daily. You know, I'll binge Taste Buds for 60 episodes straight, and then I'm like, I need, I need a break from it. But here are my notes that I wrote down. Taste Buds ads. Whoever puts the ads in the Taste Buds podcast, the audio version, I think is really funny because a lot of the times they insert the ads sometimes, a lot of the times mid-argument and sometimes mid-word, like they'll be in the middle of a word and Joe and Sal will be like like really loudly fighting like, no, you're an idiot, and then all of a sudden it's like... Hello Fresh and I think it's hilarious. I think it's really funny and most of the time I don't really mind the ads because I like the kind of the ebb and flow that's probably the wrong phrase but the the intensity of the arguments getting interrupted by these light-hearted um happy sounding ads it's hilarious to me and it's usually a nice little reprieve from the intensity of the arguments. And, you know, I can't help but compare the Taste Buds podcast to We'll See You in Hell. We'll See You in Hell remains my favorite podcast. And I started to think, I can't help but think, maybe Joe, maybe Taste Buds is kind of the direction that he wanted We'll See You in Hell to go. Because if, if for all of you hellheads out there, if you remember, I think it was the Wrath episode when they were doing the Sins season back in the early days. And Joe was like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a Siskel and Ebert debate about movies in each episode. And they they kind of, they kind of did it. You know, Tremors, and then I, I think the epitome of that idea was the Blade Runner episode. But then, you know, over time, the the podcast morphed and changed, and, you know, it's not really that anymore. And now it's, it's a lot more civil. It's just different, and it, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I think Taste Buds, it's almost like, We'll see you in hell had to change and develop for 
taste buds to to happen but i i don't know maybe i'm just talking out of my ass also i think it's interesting that a lot of people love movies but i think everybody loves food you know what i mean and because a lot of the t- a lot of the episodes of we'll see you in hell i enjoy all of them but most of the movies i've never seen a lot of the movies i have no interest in seeing but the taste buds podcast you usually have an opinion on whatever food you know whenever there's a food argument i always i th- i think i mentioned this already i text my wife and my brother what do you like better reese pieces cup or whatever i think they had a recent episode hummus or onion dip i i don't i'm not too familiar with either but it it's just interesting that um you know movies versus food i think food is more universal i think everyone has an opinion on most foods but some some people don't even like full on movie genres you know i guess that applies to food too like oh i don't like onions i don't like junk food i don't like fast food i don't like italian food or whatever but i think most people have some sort of an opinion on a food um i have here taste buds cool kids club i talked about this briefly before you know i'm 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 happy for joe that he he has a group of comedian friends like new york comedian friends that that he can he feels like he belongs and you know leaving la i think that was a big thing for him and settling into new york and you know opening up his sandwich shop which i'm like dying to try but i am not in new york i'm happy for him but at the same time just as a a, a listener of his of his content i i just <laughs> i have to be honest i just think it can get <laughs> annoying because I don't, I don't, uh, he's talking about all these stories about like, oh, such and such, and we had the such and such, and I I just don't care, and I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just trying to be honest. Um, you know, he, he he's all about being honest, uh, whether it's food or movies, and, you know, e- even the dynamic, be- I feel like Sal is... It almost kind of feels like Sal is the newer, fresher replacement of Pat Walsh. And I, I don't mean Sal's better. I just mean, you know, he gets to argue with his with his good friend for an hour at a time. And I think Joe likes that. You know, Joe, part of Joe's, uh, what do you call it, persona is arguing and complaining i you know the some people make a career out of it and like stuff that grinds his gears there's nothing wrong with it but i think he likes that friction i think he comes more alive you listen to taste buds and then you listen to we'll see you in hell recent episodes he sounds like a completely different person you know he's he's yelling at the top of his lungs on, on taste buds and he's having fun and he's, you know, having fun making fun of his good friend Sal. And we'll see you in hell. He, he, it's like a lower energy, and you know that has to do with Zoom as well. But I don't know. I am taking a break from 
taste buds. I am currently binging through We'll See You in Hell, the earlier episodes, probably the 50th time in my lifetime. It's comforting. I just like it. I like I like their dynamic. I like the the rhythm between the two of them. Pat Walsh and Joe DeRosa. I have a note here that I regret the comment I made in a previous episode in the last episode where I said I made the comment about why isn't there any Asians cast in She Kills Monsters because the writer is Asian and the director was Asian. And I regret saying that, and here's why. I hate woke woke culture. I, I hate it. I, I just don't like it. I think people take it too far. I think it's dumb. I think a lot of it is unnecessary and pointless. And for me, I I kept thinking about it because I was like, Diva, Marie, and the whole cast were wonderful. And that's what I should have just focused on and left it at that. And, you know, the, the comment is still, like, valid, but I wish I didn't say it. Like, I, I guess I could have gone back and erased it, but I want to keep these kind of honest and candid, whatever. So... I, I regret saying it. I, I, I should have just praised them and kept the focus on them because they were amazing. And that should have been the focus of my review. And it was. But I did make that kind of, in my opinion, dumb comment. And I apologize. Um, last thing in my notes for this beginning part is I'm currently reading a Final Fantasy book. I think it's called Trace of Two Paths. Trace of Two Pasts. It's called Final Fantasy Sep. Oh man, Final Fantasy Seven Remake: Traces of Two Pasts. And I am really enjoying it. Um, I purchased uh, Dawn of the Future. I think it's called the Dawn of the Future. Final Fantasy Fifteen. I guess they were going to try to make um, DLCs for Final Fantasy XV. And I, I don't know. They just decided to release a novel instead. I purchased that long ago. Never read it. Never even read one page. Kind of. It's And now I'm reading Traces of Two Paths. Similar story to Final Fantasy XV, which came out, I think, 2015, maybe. And I never played it. I played Final Fantasy VII Remake first, which came out 2020. So kind of similar thing here, but I'm enjoying it. I think you have to be a fan of Final Fantasy VII and the remake to to really get into the story. because Mainly because there was a, sent, a throwaway sentence like, Red 13 snickered at Barrett's expense or whatever. And I think if you're not familiar with the characters and the story and the lore, you're going to be like, what the fuck is Red 13? You know what I mean? So I think it's really for fans who and people who enjoy the lore and are familiar with Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake. I, um, I'm still like at the beginning, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. And I, I like enjoy I'm I like enjoying what the fuck? 
I'm enjoying reading about Tifa in her early years and her interactions with Zangen, Zangin, Zangin. The, when they battled, I really enjoyed when they were battling. It was making me laugh. Like nothing about nothing about it was funny, but it, it was cool that Zangin was like this master. He was like basically making fun of her, trying to get a reaction out of her, and he's like basically like come at me, sis. And I I enjoyed that exchange. But if you love Final Fantasy VII and remake, I recommend it. Kazushige Nojima. Um, I believe was a, has been a long time scenario and story writer for Final Fantasy VII and other games. He's a great writer. He knows his stuff, and he 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 makes the characters feel alive. That being said, uh, I am depressed and cynical, and sometimes I can't help but get these thoughts where I'm like, none of this, <laughs> none of this happened. None of this ever happened. All these people don't exist, but. I try to push that away. I'm like, who cares? It's it's fiction. It's fun fiction. It's just, it's meant to be enjoyed. And I am enjoying the book. So check it out. In terms of video games, I'm, I'm currently playing The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. And I've played it a couple times. I think I've only beaten it once. And I restarted it on Switch because I want to play it in handheld mode. And um, admittedly, it's kind of awkward in handheld mode because um, you have to like you have to use the right. I don't know what I don't know what you call it these days. Joystick. I'm gonna just call it joystick. You have to use the right joystick to control the sword. And then if you want to move the camera, you have to hold the left shoulder button and then move around the right joystick. It's a little awkward. I understand why they did it, but I I kind of wish they would just assign the sword a button, kind of like they did with Twilight Princess, which is probably my favorite Zelda game. So, but I've gotten pretty far. I just beat the the desert Lanairu mining facility. And I think I am getting used to the controls. So that's a good sign. And I, I usually lose steam when I get to this desert area because it's just very big. It's a very big area. It's very vast. And it's kind of annoying. And it's kind of daunting thinking about how far you have to travel to beat it, but that's part of the that's part of the adventure, I know. But I am enjoying it. In fact, like I think it's. I tried to put in. Um, I tried to play Breath of the Wild recently, and I I just I guess I wasn't in the mood. I'm like I don't really want to do this open worldy type thing right now. I kind of I'm in the mood for something a little more linear, so I started Skyward Sword, and I'm really enjoying it. And I guess that's kind of blasphemous to say because I know we are all excited for Tears of the Kingdom, myself, very much included. I'm very angry that the special edition has sold out everywhere, 
But I was talking to my friend about this. I asked him, do you like special editions of games? And he said, eh, not really. He got excited for the God of War 3 special edition and he bought it and now just sits there collecting dust. And that that's me in a nutshell times a billion. I love Metroid Dro- Metroid Dread very much. I'm very happy that I own the special edition, but it's just sitting here collecting dust. I pre-ordered the special Masquerade edition of Bayonet- Bayonetta 3. I haven't really played any of the franchise, and it's just sitting there collecting dust. So maybe it's a good thing. Well, I am a little bummed out that I didn't get the special edition of Tears of the Kingdom, but we are less than a month away. I am currently recording this on April 13th, 2023. So we are literally uh, like 29 days, about 29 days away from the release of Tears of the Kingdom. I'm really excited. The trailer looks great and I'm looking forward to it. What else should we talk about? Let's go to the movie Beat. I watched The Art of Self-Defense. Let's look at the Wikipedia. The Art of Self-Defense is a 2019 black comedy martial arts film written and directed by Riley Stearns, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Alessandro Nivola, and Imogen Imogen Poots. Um, I was looking up Riley Stearns. He married Mary Elizabeth Winstead in 2010. Congratulations there. But he divorced 2017. Um, I don't. I don't know what happened there. None of my business. But. Um, Let's look up Mary Elizabeth Winstead. What's her deal? Oh my god. She's married to fucking Obi-Wan? Really? I did not know this. Um, It was reported that in October 2017 that she was in a relationship with Scottish actor Hewan McGregor, whom she had uh, met on the set of the Fargo television series. Their son... Jeez... Lori was born on June 27th, 2021. Winstead and McGregor married in April 2022. I had no idea. Um, she is 38. Ewan McGregor, I'm going to guess, is 44. Let's look it up. 52. Fifty-two. Let's calculate that motherfucker. Fifty-two minus thirty-eight. He is fourteen years her senior. Well, congratulations, Obi Wan. I guess. Um. So the art of self defense is funny. It's a con- it's a, well it's described as a black comedy martial arts film. The gist of it is that Jesse Eisenberg who I believe Pat Walsh mentioned like how how do they 
I mean, Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah must get every audition the same. And um, the same auditions. He seems very similar to Michael Sarah in this movie. So the gist of it is Jesse Eisenberg is kind of a, a loser. Um, he's like very awkward socially at work. And he gets attacked while walking home with groceries or something like that. He gets attacked by these people on motorcycles. And then I think he sees a commercial for a martial arts thing. So he joins this martial arts thing. And so he he just wants to get strong and he wants to be able to defend himself. But the comedy is very weird. Whenever, you know, the poster here, it says a sinister dark comedy, an instant offbeat comedy classic. Whenever there's the humor is like awkward or unique or weird or offbeat, I all I can't I can't help but think of Napoleon Dynamite. I think a lot of recent or modern movies that try to do an offbeat weird humor, weird comedy, I think they owe a lot to Napoleon Dynamite. Not well, the, it it kind of does feel that Napoleon Dynamite invented a new genre. It really does feel that way. Maybe I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe there are other movies. I can't think of any. But I love Napoleon Dynamite. And I, I want to show it to my wife. But I think it's so funny and really unique and fresh. And there's nothing like else like it. And when whenever there's like the comedy in this, it reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite. I'm not saying it's a ripoff. I'm just saying it's similar. But spoiler alert, at the end of this movie, he kind of turns on his master. His master has been mentoring him the whole time. But then at the end, he realizes that he he was he was the one responsible for beating him up in the first place kind of doing a lot of manipulation and Jesse Eisenberg's character ends up shooting Alessandro Nivola and killing him weird movie funny movie um there was one scene I really didn't like where he goes to work and his boss kind of addresses him like where have you been and then or we're having a barbecue you should come over and then um Jesse Eisenberg goes he punches him in the nuts, I think. And he goes, I'm not going to do any of that. Instead, I'm going to go home and masturbate to images of your wife. And I don't know. I felt like that scene went too far. I think I, I wasn't really laughing. I was like, this is... I understand that this premise and this um, the comedy is absurd, but that was like a little too far for me. I was like, I don't, this isn't really funny. I don't know. I didn't like that sequence. But other than that, I, I enjoyed the movie and I I thought it was pretty funny. But I think it's a much lesser um, movie than Napoleon Dynamite. This Wikipedia page does not come um, mention Napoleon Dynamite. It mentions Fight Club, which I don't I don't really get 
the comparison. The art of self-defense sets itself up as the 90-pound weakling destined to live forever in the shadow of Fight Club. I, I don't know... I don't know what that means. It's supposed to be a comedy version of Fight Club? I don't know. I don't know. Next up on the docket is... There is a pod. There is an episode on the Ghost Town podcast hosted by Jason Horton and Re- Rebecca Lieb. They talk. They talk about weird history. And one episode, they talk about Shang the Shangri La Plaza TV pilot. And I I recommend if you've never seen it, I recommend you go out and seek it out. It is on YouTube. It is free. It's weird. Um, here, here's some from the Wikipedia. Shangri-La Shangri Plaza is a musical comedy pilot made for CBS in 1990. Directed by Nick Castle, who played Michael Myers in Halloween. Um, written and created by Mark Mueller and Nick Castle. It starred Melora Hardin. Pre the Office, Chris Sarandon, who he has a small part. I think uh, he probably was supposed to be in it a bunch, but he's barely in the pilot. Jazz singer Carmen Lundy, not familiar, um, and Broadway's original Beast and Javert. I don't know what that. I don't know what that is. Um, of Beauty and the Beast and Les, Les Miserables, Terrence Mann, who I was not familiar with. Um, Savion Glover is in here, who I saw in concert once, tap dancing. He was very good. Eight-year-old Allison Mack of Nexium sex cult fame. Michael Peters, who I don't, I'm not familiar with. Um... The, the episode is very weird. Obviously, it did not go past one episode. I don't know if they made more episodes, but it's a musical. You know, what's weird is they'll be talking and then they'll sing like a sentence. They'll be like, hey, can you hand me that wrench over there? And then all of a sudden it'll be like, sure, I'll hand you this wrench. And then they'll talk normal again. I don't know. The rhythm is very weird. The show is very weird. The... Their art it was art directed by Jeremy Railton, best known for his work on Pee Wee's Playhouse. So he was responsible for the set design, so that's um that makes sense. You should watch it if you can. It's it's weird. Also, I get this I get the song, the opening song stuck in my head. Just from listening to the pod the episode of Ghost Town. I, I forget the lyrics, but it was like if you get it today, to the to Shangri La, it's weird. I guess it is like Pee Wee's Playhouse, but um, check it out. It's called Shangri La Plaza, as I've said fifty times. TV pilot on YouTube. It's free. I already said that as well. Um, you know what a bit would have been a good last episode for this podcast would have been the last of us but as of this recording i have not finished it 
I believe I have watched six episodes. Um, so we watched the first episode like long a while ago, months, months, months ago. And then my wife was like, I, I don't want to watch it one at a time. I just want to binge it. So we waited for it to wrap up. And then we binged five, six episodes in a row. And and then we tried to resume it last night. And I, I didn't pay the fee for the HBO Max, which is apparently turning into changing its name to Max. Um, makes it reminds me of Saved by the Bell. And so we're, we have to take a little pause from Last of Us. I have not finished the series. You know, what kind of an... I, I, we're really enjoying the, the series. Really good. Really enjoying it. What kind of annoyed me was... I, I, I talked about this after I watched the first episode, but in the Wikipedia page, it says, several called it the best adaptation of a video game. But people were saying that after the first episode and i i don't know i thought that was annoying maybe it is and maybe after season one you know now that season one has wrapped maybe it is one of the best or if not the best adaptation of a video game but i thought it was very annoying to claim that after one episode um so what can I say about the show? We're really enjoying it. You know, I, I remember seeing some comments about episode three, and um, I I didn't see it until recently. So obviously, I I didn't know what everyone was talking about. But episode episode three was really great. It was fantastic. Um, I know Nick Offerman from obviously Parks and Rec, and not much else. And you know what blew my mind is I didn't recognize the other guy. I didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize his voice or his body or face. Um, I think I should have said face. And then I looked it up. And I believe his name is Murray Bennett, who... Murray Bartlett, pardon me. Murray Bartlett played Frank, and I, I, I'm very familiar with him because we watched the first season of The White Lotus, and he stole that season a thousand percent, and we love, or I loved him in that season. White Lotus, the ending particularly left me kind of cold, but I we did enjoy watching it. But episode three of Last of Us is is really heartfelt. I like the little time lapses they did, you know, two years later, ten years later. Uh, I really liked it. Um, you know, I, I think I read some people arguing like, oh, this show is just um, trying to advance the gay agenda or whatever. I don't know. All I can say is that I really liked the episode a lot. Um, and, you know, I can't help but compare or at least think of The Walking Dead, which, you know, The Walking Dead, I loved, loved, loved the first few seasons of The Walking Dead, but then it got 
way too old and played out and they as soon they kept adding more and more um characters and as soon as they got to terminus and alexandria i did i stopped caring in a big bad and hard way i did not care about the walking dead i got so tired of it they they started killing off characters and it was meant to be emotional and sad and i i started to cheer because i just wanted them to die like that's how i felt about the walking dead and i can't help but think and i know they're different but you know you think of these zombie you know in last of us i don't think they're referred to as zombies but they're referred to as zombie like creatures let me look. Um, yeah, here it goes. The series is set in 2023, 20 years into a pan- pandemic caused by a mass fungal infection, which causes its hosts to transform into zombie-like creatures and collapses society. So you can't, I mean, you can't help but think of Walking Dead and the billions and billions and billions of other zombie shows and movies and i'm not saying it's derivative i i'm just saying you can't i can't i couldn't help but think of the thousands of other series and stuff i really like pedro pascal in the role i like bella ramsey in the role i like their dynamic with each other um you know i i think i played the game up through that first like parking structure thing where they were still with Tess and I just I stopped playing because I got scared that's me hi it's me I'm the problem it's me and um so this I think after episode two they already got past to where I was in the game but I'm liking it a lot. I, I like Anna Torv a lot. I think she was first in what, Fringe. Uh, yeah, Fringe. I never watched Fringe. Never watched Fringe. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I hope one day soon I can afford, can I can continue to afford a Max subscription. But for now, we have to take a short break from The Last of Us TV series. Um, I guess I should give a slight, a little warning here. This podcast and this episode is not for children. Even though I am talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. But if you are a child, please stop listening. Um, this is not for you. You have been warned. I am now going to talk about the movie called Nine Songs. <laughs> I don't know. I, my voice shook there a little bit. I think I'm like nervous for some reason or I was about to cry for another reason. I don't know. But when you look up a list of movies with unsimulated sex in it, Nine Songs is always on that list. So, you know, when you watch a movie... There's there's tons of movies with simulated sex. And by that, it means 
you know, you give the appearance that these people are having sex or had sex. And you can get pretty into it, you know, like, for example, I think Desperado with um, Puss in Boots and Selma Hayek. It's the illusion of sex, you know, it's simulated sex. They're not actually penetrating each other's fleshes, you know what I mean? But there are a handful of movies with unsimulated sex scenes, which means they are not simulating sex. They are actually having sexual intercourse. So the Wikipedia for the for nine songs is pretty short. Uh, let me look. Let me read through it. The film was controversial upon release due to its sexual content, which included unsimulated footage of the two leads. Kieran O'Brien and Margot Stilly having sexual intercourse and performing oral sex, as well as a scene of ejaculation. Um, so here's the thing. So I've seen the scenes before. And this is the first time I watched the movie all the way through in context. I saw the scenes within context. And the movie starts... And it's a little weird because you have these two characters, um, Matt and Lisa, and they are very sexually into each other. They love each other. And in between those scenes are nine songs. They go to a different, con they attend concerts, and they're just watching these bands live. And sometimes they play the whole, um, it's almost like music, like live music videos of a live band playing. And you're just watching these bands play. And you, me as the audience member is going like, what is this movie? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to see these bands play live, like of music that's not bad, but not good. Uh, it's a little weird. But sure enough, like. Um, after after a while, you you st or at least I start to get real invested in the two characters because, you know, the the sex scenes are titillating. They're good. They're hot. Um, but it, it affects you as the viewer because I started to get really invested and you start to really care about these characters and this the scenes when they're together are not long or drawn out they're just short scenes but you can tell in the short scenes when they're conversing that they really like each other and love each other and care about each other so um let's read about the production on the first day of filming in the fall of 2003, Margot Stilly and Kieran O'Brien shot a scene where they were just kissing and taking their clothes off. Quote, it wasn't until after lunch that we had sex, O'Brien recalls. As would happen throughout the shoot, Winterbottom left little to chance. He really mapped out everything, O'Brien says. The order he wanted me to take off my clothes, her clothes, whether my socks stayed on or not. He had specific ideas of how he wanted our bodies to move. Sometimes he would start us and then stop and say, let's try this from a slightly different angle and then take 15 minutes to reset the shot. 
I wondered if he remembered the delicate machinery of the male sex organ. So, the beginning of the movie, the half, the first half of the movie, it it kind of feels like a porn movie. It it looks like a porn movie. It feels like a porn movie, interspliced between these like live band music videos. But um, I don't know. I enjoyed the movie. Um, and it was cool and interesting to finally see the movie in all its um, glory. And it's fun. To, it's cool to see the scenes in context. Um, and, you know, if a script says, you know, these two characters love each other. Or these two characters have sex. Or you only see the two characters in bed the next morning under the covers. Like you, they won't even show frontal nudity of the woman or whatever. You know, as the director, as the writer, as the producer, as the whatever, as the actors, the performers. You have to find a way to bring that to life. You have to bring that script to life. And... I think this movie succeeds. You know, you know how many times like Pat Walsh talks about it all the time, but how many times have you seen a movie where two people have sex and then you you're with them the next morning and then there's different levels to that, you know, there's there's no nudity at all. There's some nudity, there's full nudity, and this movie is at the other extreme of that. And I, 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 as me as the viewer, I think I really felt the emotion between these two characters because of these sex scenes. Like you, you don't just imagine what they do together; you see it and you experience it for yourself. So I thought it was a pretty interesting art movie. Um, you know, the, the least, I, I've said it already, but the least interesting part of the movie to me is watching them watch these bands. But I guess it's the juxtaposition of a couple going to watch a live band and then sex. I don't know. Interesting flick, though. Nine songs. And I thought they were pretty, they felt pretty natural with each other. So I, I liked it. Um, last movie in the movie beat I watched Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom is a 2021 American biographical musical film directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda in his feature directorial debut written by Steven Levinson. Um based on the stage musical of the same name by Jonathan Larson, a semi-autobiographical story about Larson writing a musical to enter into the theater industry. The film stars Andrew Garfield as Larson alongside Robin de Jesus, Alexandra Shipp, Joshua Henry, Judith Light, and Vanessa Hudgens. Um, I liked the movie. It was fine. I can't help but think of some of the tracks as being kind of annoying. I, I, you know, I, um, I don't know. 
some of it was kind of annoying to me just just because I have such low energy seeing someone perform with that kind of energy is kind of annoying and I've said it before but seeing seeing a musical live is much it's much different than seeing a musical on a screen if you have a chance to watch a live performance of anything uh, a reading an open mic uh, a musical a play please go out and do it. it there's nothing like live theater you just have to go out and and watch it support them but the movie was fine you know the, the the biggest thing that annoyed me is that Jonathan Larson throughout the whole movie kept going I need to I need to be successful by the age, by the time I'm 30 I I need to get my musical into Broadway by the time I'm 30 or else it's all over and me being a, a 37 year old fuck who you know works at a warehouse and takes antidepressants on the daily i was like this fucker you know i i know nothing about rent i've never seen it i you know i think i just recently read that it was about like aids and people with aids so i i know nothing about rent i i want to see it in person and it, you know, I am sad that this dude died at 35 from like, it sounded like he was misdiagnosed a handful of times. But, um, you know, movie was fine. I didn't love it. I, I really like Andrew Garfield as an actor, though. You know, he really shined in um, Spider-Man No Way Home. I I I don't want to admit that he was the best Spider-Man, but probably in that movie he was because I I want to say Toby, but Toby felt like low energy in that movie. Uh, I don't know. All right, let's let's get to the the cream of the crop, the tip of the top, the batter of the shatter. Um, I am going to refer to a text exchange between me and my brother because I um, I was talking to him about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, let's look at the Wikipedia page. Super Mario Brothers movie is a 2023 American... Com- Interesting that it's American. Um, considering it's a Japanese property. I guess Illumination just took the reins. Um, American computer animated adventure film based on Nintendo's Mario video game franchise produced by Illumination, Universal Pictures, and Nintendo distributed by Universal. It was directed by Heron, sorry, Aaron Horvath. Let's look at his stuff. Um, He's done a handful of TV, supervising producer on Unikitty. Um, he worked in Teen Titans Go. 
He was the executive producer of Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. He directed Teen Titans Go to the movies I didn't see. Um, and also co-directed by Michael Jelinek. Let's see. He um, he produced, wrote, and wrote songs for Teen Titan Go to the movies. Done a bunch of TV. Um, I'm not familiar with either of these gentlemen. Written by Matthew Fogel, whose name is not clickable on Wikipedia. The ensemble voice cast includes Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black, Keegan-Michael Key, Seth Rogen, and Fred Armisen. The film features an origin story for the two brothers. After the critical and commercial failure of the 1993 live-action Mario film, Nintendo became reluctant to license one of its intellectual properties for film adaptations. Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto became interested in developing another film when Nintendo was bringing its older games to the virtual console service. And through Nintendo's work with Universal Parks and Resorts to create Super Mario World, he met Illumination founder Chris Melodandry. By 2016, the two were discussing a Mario film, and in January 2018, Nintendo announced that it would collaborate with Illumination and Universal to produce it. Production was underway by 2020, and the cast was announced in 2021. All right. Um, It's set several box office records, including the biggest worldwide opening weekend for an animated film. Really? And domestic debut for a film based on a video game. Um, What? Biggest worldwide openings for animated films since 2002. I'm a little shocked by this. Um, It beat Frozen and Frozen 2. It beat The Lion King. So... Let me just list, according to Wikipedia, here's the biggest worldwide openings for an animated film since 2002. Number 10, Jiang Jia, Legend of Deification. No idea. Number 9, Simpsons Movie. Number 8, Minions, The Rise of Gru. Number 7, Finding Dory. Number 6, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Number 5, Incredibles 2. Number 4, Toy Story 4. Number 3, The Lion King. Number 2, Frozen 2. Number 1, The Super Mario Brothers Movie. That's impressive. And, you know, congrats to everyone involved. Now, let me go to my text exchange. I thought it was all right. It's a kid's movie geared towards kids, and I think kids will like it. But there are tons of movies geared towards kids that are still very enjoyable for adults. This is not one of them. So let's start there. Um, you know, I think Pixar... Oh my gosh, hitting the microphone, hitting the microphone. I think Pixar was on a roll for a while um, because they they cracked the key list of Pixar movies. They cracked the code 
for making movies that are geared towards kids but enjoyable for adults. So let's go through this. Starting in 1995, Toy Story. Love Toy Story. A Bug's Life. I have seen A Bug's Life so many times. It's to the point where I I, I don't think I can watch it anymore because I watched it so much. But I, lo- I loved it. Really good movie. I, I believe it's it's basically a remake of seven samurai with a twist um i love a bug's life toy story 2 i am not that familiar with monsters inc is one of my favorite movies of all time although i i watched it, i watched it at a key moment in my life during high school so um i i'm biased let's just say that Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, eh, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, haven't seen it, Brave, meh, Monsters University, meh, Inside Out, great, Good Dinosaur, okay, I think my wife said it's her favorite Pixar, which doesn't make sense, Finding Dory, Cars 3, haven't seen it, Coco to me is peak Pixar. Coco is an amazing movie, and I, I'm not even sure if it's geared towards kids because, I mean, it stars a kid, but it's pretty heavy. But that uh, mix of story and emotion is an m- amazing movie. Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, Onward, I did not understand. Onward, Soul, I didn't love. I should watch it again. Lucas was fine. Turning Red now you're into trouble like turning red was i feel like it was for tweens and it was only to be enjoyed by tweens lightyear i still haven't even seen it's almost a year old at this point um my point is um pixar cracked the code so list of disney animated movies um because after a while, I mean, I think, I don't know if someone's doing this on purpose, but f- for a while, Disney was beating Pixar at their own game, and Disney owns Pixar. So it's like kind of a snake eating its own tail. But are they're, they're including Pixar on this list of... Disney animated movies. I don't like that. I don't like that. It used to be separate. Alright, so... Raya and the Last Dragon I thought was a really great movie. Ron's Gone Wrong. I don't even know what that's about. Encanto was huge. I I really liked that movie as well. Oh my god. Disney owns the Bob's Burgers movies. Because of Fox, I guess. That's annoying. Oh, Strange World was not great either. But, um... I can't help but think of Wreck-It Ralph. The last time I watched it, I gave it five stars. It's really fun, really good movie. Great emotion, great writing, great story. Super Mario Brothers movie is geared towards kids and you know i quickly realized being in kind of a crowded theater with a bunch of kids 
I will say, I think... I remember we watched a movie and there was like 10 people total in the theater. And these three late, three young ladies in the back of the theater kept talking during the movie. And we went to another movie and this couple near us just kept talking during the movie. I, I'm not really sure why, but there was significantly less distractions in this movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie, with a bunch of kids in the audience, than there are when there are mostly adults. I don't know if that's a case of kids being more respectful. I don't think so. I don't know if it's a case of parents being more disciplined towards kids. I don't think so. Maybe kids are more respectful. I, I don't know. But anyway... This movie is geared towards kids. I think kids, you know, kids in the movie, in the audience were enjoying it. They were laughing, da-da-da-da-da-da. But this is not a movie to be enjoyed by adults, in my opinion. The movie is okay. It's all right. Um, I continue with the texts. Also, there are a lot of Easter eggs that are clearly for the adults that grew up on Mario. But all we can do is go, hmm, I remember that, rather than, like, enjoying it. Like the Super Mario rap. The audience was silent during that. I don't think kids these days are going to remember or know what the Super Mario Brothers rap is. I remember it from the TV show, but the, the audience was silent when that was playing during the movie. Um, let me check my notes. You know, it's cool to see Mario and Luigi running around Brooklyn with all these Easter eggs and the music Easter eggs playing. It's cool, but that in and of itself doesn't mean that it's a cohesive story or a solid movie or a compelling story. Um, it's kind of just there. You know, I, I can't help but think of that one movie, I think it's called Date Movie, where they just insert references to other movies, but they did not. they did nothing to make it funny. They kind of just put it in there. And that's what a lot of this movie felt like, where you're literally supposed to go and, and see it like, oh, look, there's pipes. Oh, look, you hear the... Or, you know, there's... By the way, a side, side note. The other day, I, I was thinking about five minutes about what that game for NES where you you shoot birds and and I couldn't think of the name for like 5 minutes and I was like shooting ducks duck gun gun ducks sky ducks bird shoot um kill birds kill ducks uh duck bullets bullet ducks gun ducks shooting duck bullet gun and then 
eventually, eventually, I was like, Duck Hunt. They showed a trailer in this mo- before this movie. I mean, did anyone else think that they were making a uh, CGI animated movie of Duck Hunt? I think that would have been awesome. Um, but it's it's called Migration. Um, let's see if I can... Also from the studio of um, Illumination. Illumination! Um, I don't think there's a Wikipedia page for it, though. Um, it's just an animated duck movie. You know what? I think Ducks would have been a funner title than Migration. Ducks. Because these movies are for kids. so You're not going to say, Mommy, I want to see Migration. No. Mommy, I want to see Ducks. I should have called it Ducks. Maybe they'll change it. You know, Ari Aster's movie for the longest time was called Disappointments Boulevard. But apparently at the last minute, they changed it to Bo is Afraid. I'll go watch it. Um, back to the texts. Um, my biggest problem is the writing slash story. They could have tweaked it a lot to make it better. Like Mario ends up in the Mushroom Kingdom. Literally 10 seconds later, he's off following Toad to find Princess Peach. There could have been a two-minute scene like, what is this place? Where am I? Who are you? What's going on? Now that I think of it, there is that scene, but to me, it was too short. Like, it literally went from out of the pipe to, don't worry, Luigi, I'm coming. It just felt rushed and meh. <coughs> so let's talk about that. Um, the, Like that sequence, I, I, I know I just said it, but let's talk about it for a bit. He comes out of the pipe, and then he goes... What is this place? And he's about to touch the blue mushroom. And then Toad goes, Under no circumstances you are ever to touch this mushroom ever. And he goes, Oh, that one? No, that's perfectly fine. And I I don't know, like... It felt like 10 seconds later, they're already... Toad is like, Oh, you have to go see Princess Peach. She'll help you. I don't know. That sequence felt too quick to me. I, I, I don't know if anyone else agrees with me, but um, give me a little finesse. You know what I mean? Give me a sequence when Mario's like, "What? What? What's going on? What? What is this? Like, who are you? A talking mushroom? What? What is going on?" And yeah, they they do that scene where he's like, "So this isn't a dream." Toad's like. No, I think he hits him. Like, did you feel that? Yeah. It's like, then this isn't a dream. I don't know. It, it felt too short. It felt too rushed. Give me an extended scene where he's like, this this, this, this isn't happening. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I just know I need to find my brother. Da, da, da. Maybe if I rewatch it, maybe it, it won't feel rushed. But I, I don't know. It did feel rushed to me. Um, like later on. He goes, Princess, I-, I need to find my brother. And then she goes, Okay, well, then you'll have to go through this obstacle course. I-, I don't know. Again, I need a little more finesse. It felt 
rushed and clunky and I feel like they could have spent a little more time on story and the writing. I, I don't know who Matthew Fogel is. Let me try looking him up. Matthew Fogel. Um, he is not um, credits. Writ, um, he wrote the story for Minions, The Rise of Gru. I haven't seen it. He Story by the Lego Movie 2, second part. I haven't seen it. Um, he wrote this screenplay to Big Mama's Like Father Like Son. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't blame everything on the writer, but I do feel like the writing was one of the weakest parts of this movie. Um, back to the text. Interesting yet predictable that Princess is a badass and Luigi is a sad sack pathetic nothing. They had to do that for girl power and all that. That's fine, I guess. Still very annoying that they picked Pratt for Mario, Rogan as DK, etc. Charles Martinet, who played Mario for decades, played Mario's dad and Maurizio. I think the guy who was playing the arcade game in the restaurant who kept going, Wahoo! Um, let's talk about that for a second. I, I saw a video recently of Seth Rogen going, um, it's very clear that I don't do voices, so DK sounds like me. If you want me to be in your movie, I'm going to sound like me. And this this person was replying to that video and he's like, the disrespect that Hollywood has towards voice actors. And it's true. And this this problem has been going on for a long, long time. And it's it's never going to change. So there's almost no point to complaining. I know Billy West has been very vocal about that for a long time, like. You put Will Ferrell in an animated movie, he's going to sound like Will Ferrell. Uh, I'm talking about Megamind. You put Brad Pitt in the movie, he's going to sound like Brad Pitt. And you put Seth Rogen in a movie, he's going to sound like Seth Rogen. And I think, you know, I looked up Charles Martinet. He's 67. He's not, he's not super old. But he's older. You know what I mean? So, like, he's been voicing Mario for decades, I believe. And imagine how awesome and amazing it would have been if he if he were to voice Mario in the Super Mario's movie. Um, let me look a little bit at his background. Um, Martinet is of French descent and speaks fluent French and Spanish. His family moved to Barcelona when he was 12 years old and later to Paris. He attended the American School of Paris and graduated in 1974. He attended the University of California, Berkeley, where he originally attended to study international law. Um, 
he a friend suggested to him to take acting classes to combat his fear of public speaking he earned an apprenticeship at the berkeley repertoire theater after training with the berkeley rep for several years martinet went to london to attend the drama studio london where among other skills he discovered his talents for accent and dialects Upon returning to California, he joined the Berkeley Repertoire Theater. He went on to become a founding member of the San Jose Repertory Theater for four years. Listen to that background. You know what I mean? You know what, I, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> let's look at Chris, Bat, Chris Pratt's background. Um... He later recalled that when his wrestling coach asked him what he wished to do with his life, he said, I don't know, but I know I'll be famous and I know I'll make a shit ton of money. I had no idea how. I'd done nothing proactive. He dropped out of community college halfway through the first semester. And after working as a discount ticket salesman and daytime stripper, he ended up homeless in Maui, Hawaii, sleeping in a van and a tent on the beach. He just drank and smoked weed and worked minimal hours, just enough to cover gas, food, and fishing supplies. You know what I'm saying? Do you know? Do you understand my point? I mean, Chris Pratt is in his prime, let's say. Charles Martinet is not. He's past his prime, let's say. He's age 67. What an amazing gift to Charles Martinet, to the fans, to the fans of gamers, to the fans of the world. What, a, what an amazing gift it would have been to have heard Charles Martinet in this. Like, what a, what a culmination this would have been for his career and what a gift to the fans it would have been i mean there's there's no real point in in complaining and it would have been amazing for him you know what i mean like um i don't know i'm i'm exhausted after that rant um i need some water i'm at an hour 10 so i think i need to i need to get this going Visually, I thought the movie was cool. The music Easter eggs were kind of cool. When they got the star at the end, it was cool. Jack Black as Bowser. Obviously, it was a highlight. The plumbing dog sequence, there was not really a laugh to be had. I didn't laugh. I didn't hear kids laughing. There was a long stretch at the beginning of this movie with no laughs. There were a few scattered laughs, few and far between throughout the movie. You know, the blue mushroom was funny when he's doing the obstacle course and it looks like he's going to be triumphant towards the end and then he gets chomped by the flower. That's funny. Overall, it just felt like a lot of Easter eggs, Easter eggs just shoved in there to make fans of the series go, ooh. But the story and writing was pretty messy. They could have done a lot more to make them a fun, enjoyable 
cohesive movie. Um, like that scene with Toad. I will make sure that no one will hurt you. You're coming with us. That's it? I, I don't know. Two seconds. It'll take two seconds to correct these things. But kids are not going to care about these things that I'm mentioning. Kids are not going to give two shits about these little things I'm mentioning. They're going to enjoy it. I hated, hated the pop songs in it. I believe they used that Blue Sky songs in Guardians of the Galaxy, also starring Chris Pratt. I don't, I didn't understand that. I did not understand that. Why is Take On Me in this movie? Uh, why is Take On Me in this movie? Um, what is the meaning of Take On Me? Take On Me thus would mean begin the process of being in a relationship with me. In contrast, Take on take Me On is more of a straightforward challenge to a fight similar to Come At Me Bro or in plain English, You Fight Me Now. Um, I don't, I still don't understand why they inserted Take On Me in this movie. They play it when they're, when the guerrilla guard takes um, Mario and Princess and Toad on, on a Mario Kart into the Kong City or whatever. I don't know why that's in this movie. It should not be in this movie. Um... Peach was a badass, Mario badass, Mario a bit of an anti-hero, I guess. Luigi was a pathetic sack, sad sack. A lot of talk of dying and death in the movie. Um, you know, I, I wonder if they're planning like a Metroid movie and then a Zelda movie and then they're going to bring them all together like a Smash Bros. Avengers movie. Interesting, but this first movie was not good. You know what I mean? I love the first Iron Man movie and that was that kicked off a whole universe. Um I think that's all I have for the text. So all in all, you know, I I I had a little fun with the movie. It was kind of fun, yes. You know, sometimes when I watch a movie a second time or a third time, all of my qualms and hang-ups that I had the first time around are not there anymore. Sometimes they still are. Sometimes they are not. And I, I am, I'm, I'm looking at be the best. I'm checking out Best Buy, checking about if they have a special edition. I am interested in buying it. I do want to see it again. It, at the end of the day, it just felt like they they shoved all these Easter eggs into this movie. Like, here, look, remember this? I, I think there's a shot of Kid Icarus, which I, I I think that was even before my time. I never really played Kid Icarus. Um, they just shoved all these Easter eggs like, hey, remember this? You love Mario, right? Look at this. But they didn't work enough on a, a, a solid story. And the writing to me just felt clunky and rushed and it was not cohesive. But 
again, it's a movie for kids and I think kids will love it. Um, so that's that. There is a mid credit scene and a post credit scene. Um, I'm assuming there are, I mean, this move, this movie made money. So I'm assuming, uh, let's see if, um, let's see if they said a sequel is in development. Um, nothing on the Wikipedia at the top. Um, let's see, uh, possible sequel. In May 2021, Furukawa said that Nintendo was interested in producing more animated films based on its intellectual properties if the Mario Brothers film is successful. In a Variety cover story before the film's release, producer Mele Dandri was asked about potential sequels or projects adapted from other Nintendo properties and answered, Our focus right now is entirely on bringing the film out to the audience, and at this time we're not prepared to talk about what's coming in the future. The film's post-credits scene hints at a potential sequel featuring spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, da-da-da-da-da-da, Yoshi. Black has also stated his interest in a potential sequel featuring Pedro Pascual, who had previously played Mario in a Saturday Night Live sketch voicing the character Wario, who would serve as the movie's main villain. How, how about Charles Martinet as Wario? How about that, bitch? I, I like Jack Blackfire. Possible spin-offs in... November 2021, sources reported by Giant Freaking Robots said that Illumination was developing a Donkey Kong spin-off film with Rogan set to reprise his role. In April 2023, Rogan openly expressed interest in Donkey Kong Country, forming the basis of future work, stating it created a lot of opportunity for a spin-off film. In February 2022, Day expressed interest in reprising his role as Luigi in a Luigi's Mansion film and reiterated his interest in March 2023. L listen to all these characters that they're... Charlie Day interested in reprising his role as Luigi, who was originally voiced by Charles Martinet. Um... Jack Black wants Pedro Pascal to voice Wario, previously played by Charles Martinet. Chris Pratt played Mario, previously played by Charles Martinet. Like, Char Charles Martinet, with all of his theater and stage and study and training and experience, voiced all these characters. And when they bring it to the big screen through Hollywood, they have to get Chris Pratt and and. and Pedro Pascal and and uh, Charlie Dane. I'm exhausted. Um, so th this is the the final episode of this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've listened one second or if you've listened thirty minutes, whatever. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you are well. Please take care of yourselves and each other. Please. Um, Look after each other. Do not abandon yourselves or your friends or your family to the wolves. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for um, 
investing any amount of your time uh, listening to this podcast. Um, I enjoyed making it, even though it seemed like I didn't. And even though, even when I explicitly stated that I didn't enjoy making this podcast, I did. Um, please embla- embrace your dreams, no matter how long it takes, no matter how slow you are. Take tiny steps towards your dreams, because life's too short to spend them rotting in an office somewhere, um, unless you like that sort of thing. Um thank you thank you for listening and say hi to your pets for me